I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Paramang and Gurna people. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I feel like the winemaking style is uh, is something that you sort of craft and it's a bit like a chef, you know, you have you have the ability to, to really refine those skills and you keep honing them, you keep improving them and that's, I don't want to downplay that, that's really important. This is Over a Glass, I'm Shante Whale. Adam Waterwitz is without a doubt one of the most talented and capable winemakers in Australia. Known for his razor-sharp palate and a career that so far has been stratospheric. His role today is Chief Winemaker and Joint CEO of Shaw & Smith. Hi Adam, thanks for joining me. Hi Shantae, lovely to be here. How are you today? You know, when I told a few people that you were going to be the next interview, a few people said to me, oh, you're going to have to try and pry a few secrets away from him. And I was like, oh, I don't think that'll be too hard. And they said, oh, I don't know. He's a bit of a closed book. <laughs> I was like, well, what are you trying to get out of him? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe they're not asking the right question, Shanta, you know. Okay. Obviously, obviously. <laughs> Where are you joining us from today? I'm at the winery. Um, so, yeah, it's been a very cool, wet uh, winter. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking out the window and I can see vines. I can see some sheep out there. And, uh, yeah, our little little dam out the front of uh, out the front of Salador as well. Yeah, it must be pretty cold at the moment. It feels like the kind of wind is icy everywhere at the moment. Um, let's talk a little bit about how you got to where you are because it's been quite a quite a journey. Take me way, way back and let me know if is there any first memory you have of wine and, and then how you found your world, you know, your way into kind of winemaking. Yeah, well I was I was born in McLaren Vale Hospital, so yeah. Uh, I guess, uh, yeah, and our family wasn't really, uh, I mean, it was South Australian and I think anyone that's sort of grown up in South Australia has a little bit of a connection to wine, you know, there's always an understanding of, you know, my dad had Penfolds and Seppel Paraport, you know, floating around and from different vintages, so it was certainly around and then I guess growing up in McLaren Vale you do you do realize that there's vineyards around you and and uh, you know there was there was certainly a, a cultural kind of feel to that I reckon growing up and and so that was always part of who we were I reckon growing up so so that's where it all sort of stemmed I knew it was there and then it wasn't until I sort of finished high school and uh, I, I started a degree that was very uh, uninteresting and uh, and I thought sure there's got to be something better than this so uh, I got a job in a winery and um, to try and make a bit of cash and maybe go a bit go traveling um, so I sort of I jumped in at, a, at Wirra Wirra in, in McLaren Vale and um, and then yeah I, I left and, and did a couple of vintages overseas and and then came back and every time I came back they wanted me back so that that's how it all kind of started so it was kind of a means to an end at the start, you know, just money in your pocket, something you found interesting and a way to travel. Um, and this, is that the right? Is that the case? Yeah, definitely. And then and then I guess, the, you know, when I got back from, from traveling, you know, I, I would, I would, you know, I just sort of had it. We had a, I had a great mentor and sort of Ben Riggs when I was really young and there wasn't an assistant winemaker or anything. So we, we sort of got a chance to to smell and taste and and learn and then you know it probably wasn't until uh so sam conyu arrived and and she was uh new in the cellar and she'd come from a place called broken wood and it probably 
I didn't probably wake up too much until that time that I sort of got to Brokenwood and, and really saw, you know, I was out of McLaren Vale. I'd seen different things and, and those guys were drinking wines of the world and I, I remember really clearly there was a guy... Uh, ben Rector, who was at the time was managing the bottling line, and uh, and, we, and PJ Charteris at the time pulled some wine options, and uh, and Ben, you know, knew that the wine in front of us was from Bordeaux, and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, if the guy in the bottling line knows how to pick Bordeaux, I've got a fair bit of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> And work you did. <laughs> so you, you went and studied at University of Adelaide. What was your graduating class like? Did you have some people that, you know, other winemakers that you're still in touch with? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, we had an awesome crew. Uh, we, uh, the group I was in uh, was, was group four because you, you get this group early and you stay together the whole way through. So it's pretty unique about that degree. And, uh, yeah, and, and it's funny, people still go through now and they find photos. There must be photos somewhere of the groups. And, uh, and so I often get a, a, a text and a photo of, of our group from when we went through. But, yeah, it was, it was quite fun. We had Simon Steele, who's at um, – he's at Medhurst at the minute and was at Brokenwood as well. And uh, Phil LeMessurier, another amazing guy and a good winemaker, um, Johan Henschke in that group and, and myself. So, yeah. Uh, it was it was a really fun time. Johan and I were both working at East, at, at at the Ed, Edinburgh Cellars, and uh, and we got a chance to taste some of the best wines around as well. And and I was also working part time at Petaluma, and uh, and that was great fun too at vintage time at um, during that that time at study. So it was awesome. So many fundamental places that you've worked. Tell me about some of the travels that you did where you actually did some vintages or kind of worked in wine. I know you went to, to Napa and Chile and Jura. Did you work at vintages at all those places? Yeah, yeah. You know, Chile wasn't wasn't that much uh, time spent, but it was it was really eye opening. Uh, the Napa was probably I was still sort of in that um, Wirra Wirra phase and still learning, and and uh, that was fascinating just to see like sort of wine technology. Those guys just in Napa was they were just doing everything. They had so much uh, so much kit uh, to do all of these mm. jobs and so much technology, and I I found that quite interesting. Uh, but in some ways, it kind of wasn't what I was seeking in wine. You know, it just felt, it sort of made it, um, I don't know, almost uh, it lacked some of the cultural aspects that I was drawn to and it was mm-hmm. it was pretty interesting when I was there, there was a guy who was who was from the Jura and, and that's how we sort of connected and he pulled out these wines and I just thought they were amazing. Like it was funny, a lot of the, the, the Napa winemakers even thought these wines were faulty because, you know, they were, they were nutty and interesting and, and I just remember looking at them thinking they're not faulty. There's... There's so much beauty in these wines and so much, you know, uh, flavour and, that, you know, they're really using oxygen to tame that amazing acidity. And then, yeah, and then I said, I was so fascinated. I said, can I come and work? And so, yeah, went to the Jura uh, post that and uh, and had an amazing experience. And, and that was the real cultural bit that, that I loved and, you know, that's, uh, that's why I really love the wines of sort of of France and, and, and particularly that area around, you know, Jura, Burgundy, Rhone, Beaujolais, all that Alsace really, really uh, got me excited about, about what's possible in those amazing places. Yeah, I mean, from Napa to Jura, you couldn't probably get two 
more starkly contrasted places, could you? I, I, I remember hearing stories about, you know, people that would come from, you know, winemakers from the Jura and they'd talk about how, you know, their family legacy, you know, nobody wanted to, to work in these places anymore. And I thought, oh, my, I couldn't believe it. You know, it's just like this is one of the most unique spots in the world and and nobody wants to take over the winery. I, I just remember thinking, how crazy is that? Because they are, they're such special wines. Do you still drink them these days? Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think for me, it was just a fascinating thing, you know, like we started early in the year and we picked out the wines that were going to be dried on the, the racks for Van der Pye, you know, and then and then we, you know, we made uh, the the uh, the light red wines, the Trousseau and Pulsar, and we made a Chardonnay, which was just mind blowing, and uh, and we drove down to Burgundy to get some old barrels, and 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 then uh, you know later on we made Mark Van from the from the Mark, and and then we we obviously got a chance to kind of get the um, Vanjoun ready for kind of its its thing. So it was it was just so things were pushed in so many directions, uh, and even the Cremant was was. A amazing so it mm. was uh it was a fascinating time for me and and a one that really yeah uh, just it just showed me where the where the beauty lies in some of those places you know and some of those styles it's right around mm. those edges of of uh you know of oxidation for for stuff and you know the the brilliant natural acidity that can can you know be the be the real calling card for for amazing wines yeah i mean um, it's exciting me that you're so passionate about those wines because who knows what that means for later down the track. But, um, you know, I, I've had some wines from, from the late 30s and 40s, um, you know, Chateau Chalons and things like that, where I'm like, oh, my God, what was happening in the world at this time? And I can't believe I'm drinking something from the 40s, like just incredible wine. So who knows uh, where that might take you later down the track and, and in production for you? Yeah, no, it was a fascinating time, and just to talk to the time, it was it was two thousand, and the Olympics were on in Sydney, and we missed it. And uh, but I always remember it was weird because we didn't, you never saw Australia on <laughs> on the TV. It was all about some French guy who was did judo, and uh, I got to see Kathy Freeman run. That was about it in two thousand. <laughs> Well, you can't really forget that in that silver whatever suit that she was wearing, can you? <laughs> it's such oh, an iconic amazing. moment. Absolutely. <laughs> so then you, you came back um, back to Australia and then you worked at some really iconic estates, Sepults and Best Great Western. What were your big takeaways from your time spent there? Oh, that was amazing. Yeah, I think uh, I'd sort of, yeah, I'd you know, really been exposed to pretty amazing wines by that point and uh, and then I, what was probably missing uh, in my, um, you know, understanding was probably just joining the dots in how to to really farm sensitively and, and join the dots from, from what you can do in the vineyard to, to influence what's in the winery and uh, and I think Viv Thompson was was instrumental in, in sort of spending time with me, you know, just... Um, you know, we had a chance to look back on wines that were made by pretty special people like, um, you know, Traveller Mast and, um, you know, just some amazing stuff. And, and Viv spending that time and you're farming, you know, the same vineyards, you're getting a chance to see different seasons and, you know, you yeah, you just, you really get a chance to, to understand the importance of what great vineyards can bring and, uh, and you sort of respect that and you... Yeah, you you realise how you know if you get your job done right, then then you play a really 
you know, a really important part in, in unearthing, you know, what the potential of a site and a season. Definitely. I mean, there's such great old by material, you know, planted at bests and that must have been amazing to kind of have an experience of, of looking at some of those sites. Yeah, I think, you know, Thompson family, you know, 1868 planted dry grown Shiraz and uh, it's just incredible. And the, even like the, yeah, some of the stuff, the simplicity of, was highlighted to me uh, as well. You know, I think to, to think back about, you know, Henry Best kind of planting that, that nursery vineyard and then watching what grew well and, and then replanting it, you know, certain things that, that really suited the environment. And one of those was Pinot Mounier, you know, and that old vine Pinot Mounier that you get a chance to, to see and see why it works is, yeah, they're fascinating things to, to, uh, to have the opportunity and, yeah, um, and, and such a wonderful wine family too, the Thompsons. Um, so I've got nothing but good things to say about my time at best it's a pretty special part of uh, the australian wine landscape mm, definitely is and i can i can actually see that when you talk about it and and even today you know i think there's a bit of a linkage there between maybe michael and martin and how they feel about um you know the family of bests and and where they are today but in 2012 the call came from Sean smith what was that phone conversation like and what was your your idea of Sean smith at that time when in 2012 yeah well it was, it was pretty pretty outrageous I, I just joined uh sepult and i sort of had seen those vineyards and i well you know i'd been there for for sort of 10 months and uh yeah i, I saw the potential in drumborg and some of the other vineyards in great west and i thought you know there were some real things to do and i got a call from steve panel actually and uh panel said uh, that he, he had been speaking with Michael and Martin and that uh, I should potentially have a conversation with with um, with them and and then and then Michael um, sorry it was Martin that gave me a call and 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 said uh, we're, we're looking for someone to join our team and uh, it was just I was really flattered I just thought you know those guys as you know are, are some of the you know the big names in Australian wine and uh, you know I knew they had you know, Michael Hill Smith, you know, the Australia's first master of wine and David Lemire, who was also on MW. And yeah, I, I just, I was really honored to be called, but I felt like I, I was kind of, I'd taken on something that I wanted to see through when I was at Seppled. And, and so I, I sort of, at the start, I'd said that I wasn't really interested. Um, you know, thanks for the phone call, but um, <laughs> which which is funny now when you look back at it. But uh, yeah, Martin said to me, oh, because he said, you know, that, that uh, he was he, he needed kind of an answer from me. And, I, and I'd said, oh, well, I, I really can't you know i'm not interested but thank you very much he said oh well just stop let's not make the decision just yet we'll and just stop in for a cup of tea so <laughs> so that cup of tea came around and uh and then I, I kind of went for a walk with david lemire after i'd spoken with michael and martin and david and i had known each other already and i'd really respected david and his palate and we'd met in burgundy um you know uh, after I got a chance to have the Len Evans trip to, to Burgundy, we'd met over there and um, he was, yeah, he was just a really thoughtful guy and he just mentioned how much potential he thought was yet to be realised at Sean Smith and, and he thought that, you know, and I'd, I'd sort of said, well, I'm not sure you guys need me on the team. Uh, you know, you've got plenty of other big brains and uh, he assured me that there was uh, there was... There was scope to really take things to the next level, so that would that 
that was probably what got me across the line. Wow, the persuasive power between the three of them. Just one simple <laughs> cup of tea. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah, exactly. Now you're joint CEO with David Lemire um, and you have the opportunity to work with so many different regions and you're really a part, you're the fabric of Sean Smith. So how, how did that, I mean, that comes over time, but run us through a little bit about the process of starting out with Sean Smith and, and where you are today. Oh, it was just a really exciting time and it's, it's, it's flown by, you know. I think when I hit the ground, we, we had a, a lot of ambitious things that we wanted to achieve and I think Michael and Martin were just amazing in terms of their support and encouragement to kind of be the best and do the best that we can. And uh, so, you know, it starts with vineyards and, uh, you know, we've we had Toll Puddle had just sort of come online. So that was amazingly exciting in Tasmania. And we just purchased Lenswood, our property uh, in the hills. Um, Ray Guerin was uh, a viticulturalist and, yeah, he and I uh, set about just really trying to get to terms with, you know, the, what what we saw as the the future and how we could improve things and yeah I just think it was it was super exciting in the winery we kind of you know did got all of the things that we needed to 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 allow us to sort of unleash the quality and uh, and all, and then went back to the vineyard and thought about where we can find more stuff so it's it's been hectic but there's been massive inputs and massive uh, achievements uh, in you know, all right across the board and yeah I just think it, it's it's really fulfilling to to see everyone you know it's a huge team effort as you can imagine and uh to to get everyone united on trying to make you know the aspirational wines that we that we want to make uh and and to really show off the great sites in the hills and tasmania and 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 now the opportunity to work with some older vines down in blue springs you know it's they're all amazing things and um yeah we don't take them for granted and and we we want to do our best to 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 see what we can unleash. Hmm. I, I can imagine it is just a dream to not only work with so many different areas and regions, but also to produce wines then that really represent those regions. You know, you're, you're bottling things with those names on it and having a representation of really what you're doing there. Um, for example, you know, Toll Puddle, which marks 10 years of Toll Puddle uh, coming up in the Coal River Valley. What has made Toll Puddle um, have the success it has? I know from the outlook, it kind of is a bit more like Sean Smith wave their magic wand and whatever they kind of envision happens, but it doesn't work like that. So tell me a little bit about why you think Toll Puddle has had the success it has. Well, I think it's a great site, you know, to start with. And I think uh, that's that's. Uh, you can't really get around that in in wine. You know, I think if you look to all of the great wines that you love, Chante, or you know, they'll, they'll always have a, a vineyard. I would have thought at their heart, and um, and a, a great place to grow something. And I think the Coal River is a very unique place, and then Toll Puddle as a site is is very unique as well and when you get them to work together uh then you do see um such a yeah such an an interesting thing that's been unleashed and i think i think it's tasmania was 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 certainly right at that point too you know i think um people on you know at least on the mainland didn't really know too much about what was happening down there and the fruit does have such a different spectrum of of acidity and flavor and and profile um so i guess yeah for us it was just about 
really working hard in the vineyard to get it to a standard where we where we thought it was going to do it justice and then and then really getting to terms with with making the wines in a way that kind of highlighted the the you know how good it could be and um yeah so that's really how we went about it but there was certainly challenges along the way and you know, I remember the 2014 season was was we pretty much uh, you know didn't have enough grapes to, to kind of get through, so there was so much pressure. And and then 2019 we had you know smoke issues, and, and so it certainly uh, for, for for the Pinot, so it has, certainly hasn't been all one way. Uh, there's been some massive challenges, and I think when you go to Tasmania, there there always is those challenges. Mm. It's such a a wild place, and uh, yeah, within one year there's probably three different challenges that you come up against and uh yeah so it's it i don't think there's any magical uh way of un, un, you know unearthing all that stuff but it's uh, it has been an amazing uh, it, it has been an amazing journey and i think the one cool thing is that, that everything you do at tolpa you know to improve it, it it repays you you know mm. so that's kind of the, the incremental uh steps have been really rewarding yeah i I mean, you know, working in the Adelaide Hills, you know, that hasn't been, um, you know, a, a picture perfect story either. And like you said, Tassie, Tassie is a, a small place, but a great place and has lots of kind of moderating effects that you have to deal with. I think Tolpuddle is a beautiful site. And I, one, of the, one of the things I love about it is that it tells the story of each year really well. And I feel like in my time, I've had a history of, of going through the ups and downs and the ebbs and flows of that vineyard with watching the Toll Puddle releases come out. And I remember when I was walking through there, I actually found an amazing, because the clover is so tall in that vineyard. And I, my mother and I used to look for four-leaf clovers and I found the biggest one I've ever found. I looked down and just saw this huge four-leaf clover looking back at me and I just thought it was a sign. And so for, for the rest of my life, I think I'll be attached to a top puddle just from that experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an awesome story. But I, I, I do, it, there is something special about the place, you know. And I remember when I first went there, there, there is, there's something special about special places. And, you know, I think whether you're in Burgundy or, you know, you're in vineyards that you really just feel something. But I definitely feel something when I'm at Tolpuddle. And, and it's, a, it's a special place. And I, I do agree with you, though. Like, I think it's easy to overlook, you know, Tolpuddle and think about, you know, the 10 years as a collective, but it, there was so many ups and downs and, uh, you know, it's going to be fascinating this 10-year this release. We're looking back at some of those vintages and, yeah, wow, there's some, there's some real – it's a real wild ride. And, uh, and I think, as you said, you do see it and you do see the seasons and that's part of the charm of seeing mm. a site and the seasons expressed. Definitely, definitely does. So let's talk a little bit about Full Circle, talking about you coming back to Blewett Springs in uh, the new vineyard and project in McLaren Vale. Yeah, yeah, no, super exciting. Um, we had been sort of just, Ray, both Ray Garen and myself were from, well, he was from, uh, you know, Blewett Springs actually, like McLaren Flat, Blewett Springs area. Um, so we had been looking around that area just because it, it is such a unique part of 
of the Australian wine landscape. You know, the, the soils are so unique. There's so much sand. It's on, you know, uh, uh, it's it's elevated. You can see it's on the sort of foothills that looks back towards the water. It's uh, There's an amazing, uh, when you do find a couple of little pockets, you know, you can get some ironstone um, interacting with that, um, with that sand and, you know, then great water holding capacity and, you know, there's just been vineyards there for, for you know, at least a hundred years, and and for me, it's a yeah, just a really special part of of, of McLaren Vale, and um, and so we were always interested, uh, so much so that we went and sort of had had been looking for to you know the other wine co ended up. Uh, we we found some Grenache to go into the other wine co and we just kept poking around that area and we never thought something would really come up for sale because you know these these uh, vineyards have been held by certain families for generations and um, anyway long story short the, the one of the sites that we were dead keen on uh, came up for sale and and uh, and we purchased it uh, at the start before the 21 um, season so. Uh, pretty exciting. Um, there's some Grenache planted in uh, 1939. Uh, there's some Shiraz from 1940s, and there's some Shannon from the 1960s. And so you get that combination of, of really old vines that just really inhabit their place and, and reflect that. And it's something that you know takes me back to my time at best, seeing those really fascinating sites being you know expressed through these vineyards and and yeah and, and then it does have that influence of some maritime uh moderation but yet is slightly at the hills as well and and that sand i think we've seen with tolpato we just you do get wonderful aromatics and uh real lifted high tone um you know florals so mm. it's it's been a fascinating thing so yeah we we are we've got the mad vineyard being released uh yeah in 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 sort of uh in a month's time well i know that it's highly anticipated by everybody that's into wine i think that first of all we just know how incredible mclaren vale is how well they do shiraz and grenache or syrah and grenache but uh for all the big nerds out there that love shannon uh everyone is very curious to see what that's going to look like so a lot of anticipation around the release which is exactly what you want yeah no and i do think it's i mean shannon it's it feels like you know these if i reflect back to my time at best and you know you think about henry henry best looking at varieties that kind of worked uh, for a reason and, and then were planted and they were planted in the 1960s you know because they really worked and they have you know Shannon just has this beautiful natural acidity as as you know and everyone knows and yeah I just think it's going to be fascinating to see how those wines are received because they do they do look so good and they don't they don't there's nothing that needs to be added to those wines mm. you know mm, so that's exciting and I hope you know if there's ever a possibility for Shannon in Australia I hope that there's an ability to see it age as well because I think Shannon with age is one of the sexiest wines on the planet and and it would be nice to to know that maybe we can do that in Australia I mean who knows but uh you know the possibilities absolutely no I think you're dead right I reckon and that 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 point uh is something that I've seen even through Elevage so when you're making the wines you find that the time like giving yourself time um really 
uh, makes those wines m- move into such an interesting thing. And I did have a chance to make a, a bit of Shannon when I was over in Victoria, and that, that t- time in you know in barrel or in in you know whatever it's in in concrete, um, you know, and then time in bottle really does amazing things for that style of wine. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> um, if you were to think about, you know, what you leave behind 20, 30, 40, 100 years from now, whatever it may be, is there some kind of winemaking style or something you'd like to be remembered for over time? If we talk about the Waterwitz legacy of winemaking, what would that be if you wanted to pinpoint something? Oh, I, I guess for me it's 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 about highlighting some amazing sites you know i think the cool thing when you become you know hopefully uh, understanding you you know i feel like the wine making style is uh, is something that you sort of craft and it's a bit like a chef you know you have you have the ability to to really refine those skills and you keep honing them you keep improving them and that's i don't want to downplay that that's really important you know you always need to be good in the kitchen but uh, i do think that that you know, when you go back to a vineyard and you farm it sensitively, it has to be a great site to start with, but then you get the mix of clones right, you get the way that you're farming it right, you know, you pick it at the right time, you get a great season, yes, that's when the magic happens. And uh, and so I guess for me, it's probably, you know, putting effort back into these great sites and, and you know, being part of highlighting that as a, as a, as a broader team, that'd be nice to be remembered for, I reckon. Yeah, I totally agree with you. So it's more that do the place justice and be sensitive to sight. Uh, I think that's a nice sentiment to be left with. And I think also, you know, when somebody walks in, whether they knew you or not later down the track, but they were like, this place was really cared for. That's just a lovely, um, just a lovely memory, isn't it? To have that, like this place was tended to and it was cared for and it's a better spot than when, you know, you came in at the time you did. Yeah, every now and then when we're talking about what we're going to be doing in vineyards and, and it might be expensive or, or hard or challenging and, and I'll say, oh, you know, your uh, your grandkids will thank me, you know. <laughs> you know, a bit tongue-in-cheek but at the same time, it, it, it wines like that. You've got, to have a, a, you've got to have a long horizon. And that's farming really at the end of the day. I think whenever I've spoken to someone that's been on the land for a long time, whether it be wine or it be something else in agriculture or farming, that's really the the kind of philosophies they tend to have is that kind of it's not about today or tomorrow or you or me. It's really supposed to be for the long haul. That's, you know, that's what I'm left with. And I think that that's it's a really good, if we all thought about that a bit more often, maybe we'd be in a better place. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. So what's next for you in the coming months? I mean, do you ever get a holiday? I know how busy you are with looking with Mencia and, and Eldersley with your Gamay and then with all these things you have going on with Shaw and Smith. I'm like, how does the guy fit in a life? I mean, you've got family as well. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it is busy. But uh, that's all right. We, we you know, we uh, we like it all, and my, my family love wine too. You know, they they love, uh, you know. But we're we're active in our community. Community. We love our our friends. We love to get away. We love to do things. It is, it is busy. But um, you know, I think uh, we try to cram it all in and have an exciting life. You know, we uh, we we love being part of um, yeah community and and having good friendships and you know obviously share wine, share food, share interests and. 
uh, yeah, so I think we'll hopefully do more of that. Um, you know, our, our boys are getting older. Hunter has, my first son, has always loved coming to the winery and being part of it. You know, so every weekend when he's not at school, he'll he'll come into the winery and help out. And they're on holidays today, so uh, Nikki's threatening to bring to bring him up to the winery today. So uh, we we do try to fit it all in, but uh, it is a challenge. Well, I tell you what, if you ever need someone to speak on your behalf or be your PR agent, I reckon Hunter could do it because that kid is so well-spoken and so articulate. It's quite unnerving. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that. He did, he did introduce himself that day, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She definitely made an impression. Ashlyn and I were incredibly impressed with uh, his manners and um, his demeanour. I was, uh, yeah, I was taken aback, which is such a lovely, <laughs> it's lovely. Adam, I always ask um, everyone on the podcast, if you could only drink three alcoholic beverages for the rest of your life, what would they be and why? Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? You've really, really put a tough one in there Uh, because I think (laughs) partly, you know, drinking and being limited to three, like part of the the interest for me is being curious about, you know, different things. So, I always love to try different things. But then there is, you know, those things that just are amazing that you would never want to be without. So, I think one of them has to be champagne. Uh, so, that's just because, you know, like there's no time that, you, you you know, isn't made better with champagne, I would say. Uh, so, that's one. Uh, the other one is probably beer because, you know, I think there's something about, you know, working hard and, and having a day, particularly in the winery when you've, you know, kind of, you've been out in the vineyards, you've, you know, you've come in, you've, you've worked sort of 15 hours or so and, you know, you've achieved a lot. It feels like that beer at the end of the day is, you know, a very nice full stop to, to, <laughs> to bring things to a close. So, I'd have to have that in there because I imagine I'm, you know, on the desert, deserted island, I'm, I'm still working hard. <laughs> um <laughs> And then, and then the other one, I think. So, so when do people go back to wine for these sorts of things, or, 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 or? Oh, I've had a bit of everything. Have you? I've had everything. Yeah, yeah. and I think, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It is a hard question, but you know, how else were people going to define you, Adam, or judge you if I don't ask this question? You know, so <laughs> I've got to give, got to give people what they want. <laughs> well, okay. Oh, I've got to say Chardonnay because uh, Chardonnay for me just ha- there's some magic about it, and um, yeah, I think uh, people say that it kind of you know, or some I hear people say that it's kind of a winemaker's wine, but I actually think it's a great wine for for you know highlighting the sight and season, and and I get no greater pleasure you know than seeing the intricacies of you know the certain site and a certain season and and seeing that through the lens of chardonnay yeah well look you know what that tells me it tells me that you've covered all your bases because champagne is for pleasure so you've ticked off something that's just for you and just to enjoy you've talked about beer which really just aids that thirst after a hard day's work so you've ticked that box and then chardonnay which is such a thoughtful drink something that you can think about and you know pull apart and put back together and so you've really ticked all the boxes so it's a pretty damn good answer i have to say <laughs> oh thank you that's good <laughs> it's been so fantastic i could have gone a lot of other ways yeah. yeah i know i know and it depends on your mood and depends on the weather and 
yeah I, I mean you know I'm just glad I'm asking the question not having to answer it so <laughs> Adam, it's been such a pleasure having you on. I always thoroughly enjoy our chats and I could definitely ask you a million more questions and ask you to spill the beans on why your wines are so fantastic. But uh, we'll leave that for another time. And thank you for spending part of your day with me. Sounds great. Thanks, Shantae. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shantae Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at overaglasspod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.